1: Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome in. Episode 6 of the Portland Winterhawks Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Durr Johnson. Let's jump right in this week. The boys are on the road ahead of another big weekend, and so joining me now from Spokane ahead of tonight's game, a team that Portland is going to play twice, the voice of the Winterhawks, Nick Merrick. Nick, I, you know, we have talked a lot this season. There's been highs and lows. The start was awesome. A little bit of a lull here the last couple of weeks. It feels like this last four-game stretch is exactly what the doctor ordered of offense, we're having fun, and Portland seems to be back playing their brand of hockey.
0: I completely agree, Andy. I think the last couple of games in particular, the offense has been rejuvenated. Uh, you obviously get a nice addition there, Tyson Jugnot coming to town. I'm sure we'll highlight that in a minute more in detail. Uh, but, you know, just overall, the team kind of turned a switch, and they didn't have to do much. I, I think you and I kind of referred to it as well last, uh, Podcast, One of those, like, it's just a mental thing. Yeah. You know, you're, you're still dealing with 16, 17, 18 year olds sometimes trying to figure things out. Of course, your leaders are a little older, but you know, it, that's tough even for the 20 year olds on the team to have to go through a stretch like that. And you're wondering, what are we doing wrong? You know, and, it, and sometimes you aren't necessarily doing things wrong. It's just execution wasn't there. Now all of a sudden the team executes and you're seeing these seven, two scores and you know, big wins for Portland. So they're kind of back on track. I would hundred percent agree with that. And I think the word fun um, was probably one of the most notable ones that you started with because Mark Ulster was saying that after the game last Friday on December 8th, when Portland actually beat Spokane for the first time, he mm-hmm. was just saying, you know what, I think what changed is we just weren't having fun mm-hmm. during that losing streak. And it was, you know, it was an extremely truthful answer. He really wanted to, you know, he put some thought into it. And said, now we're having fun. Like, this is a team that's enjoying playing again. And, and it's just those small moments, too, that you almost take for granted, thinking, like, you know, you're right. Like, these are kids away from their home. They're playing in Portland. They, right. You know, they just want to have fun. Obviously, they all want to advance their careers. But if nobody's having fun, you aren't going to win. You aren't going to enjoy it. Um, so I like that they kind of went back to the basics. Clearly, it's working out, so if they're having fun, hopefully they keep having fun this weekend.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I would say scoring seven or eight goals, it feels like, in every game would be a lot of fun. I mean, it started with that game, uh, honestly, against Spokane, and then it carried over the game that we called against Seattle last Saturday. They picked up right where they left off against Everett on the road on Sunday, another hat trick, and then last night, uh, or excuse me, two nights ago against Wenatchee uh, to have another seven goal performance. It's just they're 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 clicking offensively, but I think what has impressed me the most over the last handful of games, even when you go back to that Spokane one that they had that was eight to five, it was six to five, and they netted a couple of empty netters. So that was a back and forth. We're having a hard time keeping the puck out of our net. Now right. they're kind of doing it both ways, right? Where the offense is there, but they're also not giving up five goals or four goals like we had saw. They gave up six to Wenatchee in a loss, you know, a week and a half ago. What have you said? We've seen Ivakian get a start. Uh, we've seen Maric obviously kind of get the lion's share of the duty, and we saw him last Saturday. Just what, d- does it feel like those goaltenders? are finding a bit of a groove because there's not a lot of teams that can overcome having their number one guy out who is playing so good early in the year, and Jan Spoonar and then Brunin, who everybody's expecting big things from, he gets this opportunity, he gets hurt. You're on goaltender three and four, and I think that highlights how well they're playing, but what are you seeing from the goaltenders here over the last, I don't know, week or so, settling into that role?
0: Well, Justin Morris is the easier one to be able to pinpoint. I thought his game as of late has been a tremendously good. He's, he's improved tenfold from even what we saw from him coming back from you know, when he's playing in the SJHL um, for his first game, because there is that little bit of adjustment period again. Like, he was at an cup camp. Then you go to a different team. You get used to those systems. Then you have to come back and reactivate yourself into Portland. I knew there would be a learning curve, but he he picked it right back up really quick, and I've been very impressed with him. Uh, I think he's been very calm m- more so recently, which mm-hmm. has uh, kind of benefited his game too, and, and uh, you can kind of see it with the stats that's shown. Nick Avakian going to be another one of those great players to – Kind of a sneaky ad, I think, when when you're looking at it towards the second half of the year after the holiday break. The one thing is I I suppose I can't necessarily comment too much on it. He got a great first win as the Hawk, but we've only seen him in a a couple of games so far. So hard to get the full read on that. Uh, But I'd probably expect for him to go at least one of these two games before the holiday break. So I would imagine you see both goaltenders just don't know how Mike wants to handle it. If it's going to be, you know, Marich on the road, Marich at home, uh, or vice versa. Uh, but then you know team defensively in front too I thought they did a terrific job especially in those last three games um, outside of the one they were talking about with Spokane I thought they really buckled things down defensively they helped Marich and Avakian they did a really good job there blocking shots like I think Ryder Thompson deserves a ton of kudos there I feel like he wore about five or six shots in one game and and that's kind of the mo that this team does like it doesn't matter if you're you know, the leading point scorer on the team defensively in Cagnoni or if you know what your role is and you're going to be more of a PK shutdown guy like an Ulster or a Ryder Thompson. The full team, when they commit defensively to blocking pucks, they are very good. Yeah. The forwards are as well. So I think it, it, you know, as much as we talk about goaltenders, when the forwards and the defense are on and, and they really find their lanes and can block a lot of shots, they are very good. Um, and they kind of prove why Portland can be contenders because, <laughs> oh, man, when they're on, they're on. Uh, so that's been kind of fun to see. And then, you know, I think just most notably, fans have come to know this. I've come to know this, too, since I started five years back with Portland. This is a Winterhawks team run by Mike that they love playing that run-and-gun style. So you're not you're going to see a lot more 8-6 games compared to, uh, you know, 4-1 games, <laughs> if you will. Right. <laughs> which, which makes the brand more exciting in terms of the visuals, if you like the scoring offense in hockey. But, uh, you know, on top of that, I think the reason I bring it up is Portland probably sitting there thinking, well, if we're going to score five or six goals a game, we're probably going to win hockey games. Yeah. So in essence, obviously, I think that's more in the forefront than it is team defensively, uh, because they just want to get in and score. So as long as they're scoring five or six or seven times like we've seen, what have they done? They've won all their games. So it's kind of like a checkbox there. It almost not. You know, this is not to discredit anything to the defense or the goal setters. Because I think they've been really good uh during that stretch but it's one of those like you know it's almost like yeah sometimes you don't need them like we'll just win a barn burner <laughs> right. it's not, it's not you know i'm not saying it's not a big deal i'm sure they, they'd rather have pucks get stopped and defense support and forward support all that but right. you know if you're gonna score three straight hat-tricks like you mentioned that's the first time in the internet era that's ever been done by a winterhawks team Unreal. so this is a special offensive group too.
1: I love how that's now a saying too. The internet era—that's wild. That it's—I mean, it just—it makes me feel old even saying that. As somebody who saw that come about in his in his life, like God, we're old, man. But that is nuts that it's never happened with all the great offensive teams that they've had. I think the other part of that too, I would imagine, for Mike is like. Man, we're going to be so aggressive offensively and we're going to get out and we're going to skate. We're going to take a lot of chances. Like, we're going to leave ourselves vulnerable from time to time. Like, it's just going to happen. Like, you can't be all in on the offensive end and using pace and tempo. You're eventually going to have a three on two breakaway and you're going to give up some goals. Like, that's just kind of what comes with playing that style. But to your point, when you're scoring six and your offense is unstoppable, like, go ahead, man, we'll give you a cheap one on the other end, but we're going to score five on you. Can you get six? I don't think you can. So we're going to outscore you game in and game out. But you mentioned the help that the goaltenders are getting in front of them, and that's always up, an underrated and untalked about aspect of, of goaltending play, uh, that they're going to need help. They're going to need to make sure the bodies aren't in front of them, or you're blocking shots, or you know, cleaning up the garbage after a, a loose rebound, if you will. Tyson Jugnoff comes over, and I know you and I got the chance to call the game on TV on Saturday, and you've obviously seen him play now a couple of times, but just what impact does that have? And then I think for the for the people who don't follow it that closely, were you surprised at how quickly, because sometimes these trades go down and you'll trade a pick just to get the rights to him, and then you don't trade the rest of your assets until the player actually comes to your organization. It happened very quickly. So I guess were you surprised And kind of what goes through that at this level of hockey of guys considering, all right, I'm an NHL-drafted guy, I'm playing in college, now i got the chance to go play for this organization in the WHL and trying to make the decision for their future.
0: I think it's one of those for the first one on the surprising of, of how quick it happens. I think the answer there is a little bit of a yes, just from the standpoint of, you're right, typically these are kind of slow rolling things where it happens, you know, typically it's like the rights are acquired very quietly in the summer. There's been conversations, then you get to pull them over. And this is kind of one, I think, just the timing of it, why it makes sense, why it was so fast. You're coming to the end of a semester. It's one of those where if you're a college player, you're kind of making the decision, when there's a coaching change at the university level, are you going to go with this new coach? Do you need that change of scenery? What's your you know, my, kind of mental position standing at? And I think it was just kind of one of those where Jugnaut thought, and he's like, I don't know if I'm becoming the player I want to be in, in Wisconsin. Mm. Um, you know, Whenever we talked to him, though, he loved his time there, so it's not like there was any bad blood. It was more of just a player trying to look out, for like what's, what's going to benefit me in the long run? Because realistically, I could still have two more years of juniors the rest of this year, plus next year if you need to be an overage player um you know I don't think this goes in the factor of players at all but you're you know the Seattle Kraken drafted him in the fourth round so obviously that's a decently high pick you're going to be closer geographically than to the Kraken scouting staffs they could probably come down and see you a little bit more I know there's always communication between a Portland team and a Seattle NHL team uh you know so so at least the communication lines will always be open but I think this is one of those where you're at the turn of the semester and and you're kind of weighing it out and Jugnoff says all right let's let's pull the trigger let's make this move like if Camloops is calling me saying they want to trade me, um, you know, that's, that's how it would work is uh, basically like, okay, hey, Portland, we're going to move you to Portland. Would you have any interest in going there? Uh, you know, and then, then those conversations can kind of be had with their camp and, and he could talk with his family and his agent and advisor and say, Hey, is that good for me? Is that bad for me? So I think it's just kind of how it works. Everyone gets the way decisions, and and Jugnoff is one heck of a player. I I think one thing that's maybe surprised me more so than the speed of him coming to Portland is how quickly he's been able to just acclimate himself right into the locker room. Like Mike Johnson knew what he was talking about when he says he plays my style, Portland-style play. And you're thinking, okay, like, you know, we've heard that before. Um, Is this going to be true or is this going to be kind of one of those like, well, it might take a month or two. And this is a player that stepped on campus, if you will, immediately came into the game literally i think he landed noon on friday night and then he was in the lineup on saturday for the teddy bear toss legitimately thought he was going to score the teddy bear toss goal with you and i on the call three times um had a goal disallowed in everett that if it was quote unquote offside it was maybe a centimeter or two off like it was very close that was one of those where i was i was trying to get on the camp of at least give it a review. But to be fair, I don't think the video angle would have caught it from the WHL level when you have a linesman sitting literally a foot and a half in front of the play. So, you know, I could stand back on that. But it's one of those where he still, he's still essentially quote-unquote scored. Um, and then he's been playing terrific. Like him and Carter Southern have been such a good pair because they both have kind of the same thought uh, from the offensive side. He has a really good hockey IQ. Like he knows how to read plays. He's really smooth on his edges, is what I've always heard from, you know, from the scouting staff and just from you know, his NHL draft years when they talk about it. They're like, we don't know about his skating. Then they're like, no, just kidding. He's actually very good on his skating. He'll, <laughs> right. get, he'll get quicker as he, as he kind of grows and develops. And, and then you're kind of like, you're putting those in the back of your head. Then you see it in action. You're like, I know exactly what they're talking about. It's just because of how you know, he'll retrieve a puck at the blue line, and there's not much pressure by him. He avoids pressure so well because he can cut really fast. He just knows how to find the soft spots of the ice. So I think he's going to be a huge addition for this team. I mean, also, when you think about it, it's a, now a fourth NHL-drafted defenseman on the Portland Winterhawks blue line. So, uh, you know, if, if they love their run-and-gun style, well, at least you have four NHLers back defensively to try to support. So yeah. it's a good situation to be in. I'm very excited to see how Jugnoff can kind of reinsert himself a little bit more into the lineup and, and kind of see how he grows in his role for the next year. Cause you know, no matter what these first, let's call it month, it's going to be, you know, a little bit of a trial period where you're going to try to test them, maybe with different pairings. Although I think they'd love them with Carter Southern. Uh, he's excellent on the power play. They knew he'd be a power play guy. Do you give him looks on power play one? Can he work himself into a penalty kill roller? Or is that not really him? Like you'll kind of find more of his traits too. So great hockey trade for both Portland and Camloops. Obviously the fact that it worked out as quickly as it did for Portland is, that much more of a bonus because now you get that many more games with that player.
1: Yeah, that's massive and then as you mentioned, just kind of figuring out where he's best in the lineup. So far, I'd say it's whatever they're doing early on. It's working because uh, I was amazed just like you were in that first game. You're a little overwhelmed. I mean, talk about a game to make your 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 debut in the WHL. It's a teddy bear toss night. The arena is sold out. It's a rivalry game. It's on television. Like, here we go. Like, welcome to the WHL. And He was unbelievable and made an immediate impact in that game and so you could tell right away that he was going to fit. Now Nobody knows the answer to this, and we're going to catch up with Mike at some point. Obviously, as you mentioned, we got two games this weekend. Holiday break takes place. There is something looming around the corner, and Portland has been kind of speculating on this, really. You and I have, Nick, since August and September when we started talking and the podcast launched again. Um, does this feel like the start of a busy trade deadline for them? Because Jugnoth was a huge addition. Do you feel like there's more in the cards potentially in the next couple of weeks?
0: I don't think busy is going to be the right word for this year. Um, I think it's more of just that there will be probably at least one more splash. Like yeah. I know this is one where if, if Mike got a big player, like a Tyson Jugnath, he didn't want to just stop at one. I think he wanted to try to add two difference makers at the very least. So I think there's going to be at least one more trade coming from Portland. And this is just from my media side of things. Right. But, uh, you know the one thing I, I can comment at least for Mike is, and I know I know this part will be true. He you know he pulled over the leaders, he pulled over the group and said, "We are the Portland Winterhawks. We do not trade away players." So he's like, you know, put everybody on on a little bit of you know get off the panic. Yeah, it's one of those. He's not going to overhaul the roster. So I guess that's the reason I said like I don't think it's going to be busy because I don't think you're going to see four or five, even probably more than one or two players, end up getting either reassigned or, or traded. Um, you know, before that, because that's not what Portland likes to do. They like to develop their talent. They like to stick to those players and, and help them grow as well. So I think that's kind of a little bit of sense of calm. But, you know, you're looking around and I'm hearing interviews with like Bliss Littler, and he's the general manager of the Wenatchee Wild. And, you know, they're obviously asking him questions like, well, you didn't get Benson back, who's a first-round NHL pick. What are you going to do with your first-round NHL talent, Matt Savoy? And, First round, AHL and Connor Geeky. And his basic response is like, we're fielding all the phone calls, right? So like even a team (laughs) in the one at you, that's 20 wins already on the season, but they need to rebuild for their future because there's nothing left to use from draft pick capital. So I I think they're kind of in that, well, do we have enough to go for it now? And and he even mentioned too this this stretch without Savoy and Geeky while they're away at World Juniors is a chance for them to kind of evaluate if if their team's ready to go for a championship. And if the answer is no those pieces are gonna get moved. So essentially like, you know, even as we're talking for the holiday break time, like this is an important time for a lot of teams. Because then even if Portland, like let's say Portland wanted to acquire a Savoy or a Geeky, well, they wouldn't even have the chance to do so unless Wenatchee doesn't you know, unless Wenatchi underperforms from what their general manager thinks.
1: Right, right.
0: Because then all of a sudden then they're gonna think, Yeah, we're gonna hold on to these guys and we're gonna to try to give it a go this year. So there are still some unknowns I'm sure this time of year is when everything kind of the conversations start picking up. So I wouldn't be surprised if Portland wanted to add at least another difference maker. I feel like now that they added out of the defenseman. I, I'd imagine it would be more of a forward um, that they would go after again. You know, who knows? This is, this is where they, they pay Mike, the big bucks to be the GM. Nick Merrick's not the general, <laughs> general manager of this team. Uh, the only reason I say that is obviously there is a little bit of a log jam defensively. I think you have eight defensemen currently up here and typically you want to have seven. So uh, just off of that you're like well you don't need to really add another ninth defenseman to this mix plus you already have a three guys signed who are you know skating in their junior a teams um, so it'll be fun I think it's kind of the fun time of year it's obviously a little antsy I know from the players they were talking they'd probably be like mixtures right like there's some that are like oh god I hate this time of year because I don't want it to be me but then overall it's you know odds are it's not going to be them you know it's just yeah. one of those like this this is just part of the it's sadly part of the business it's one of those where you want to make the team better and and give the guys who, you know, have been here forever and, and deserve a chance to win a championship to kinda of go for a championship.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting angle, too, on, you know, we talk a lot about, we mentioned Jugnath coming from college to the WHL and the different pathways that you could take. And I, I always will believe in this model just because I think it's more of a pro model and you're traveling more and there's more games. And it just, I think it gets you ready for the next level a little bit better, not to knock to college hockey, but that's the other part of it. Like, you have to start to learn how to deal with this stuff. For these guys that are going on in the NHL or the AHL, like this is a part of it. It's an unfortunate aspect, especially for guys like you and others who you get really close to these players and you're around them day in and day out. You never want to see anybody uh, get traded, but it's a part of the business, and it does do a great job of kind of getting you ready mentally for that next level. I love Mike taking the guys aside and saying, look, we don't trade players. And the Jugnaut deal is an example of that. I know they had to deal shelter just from a roster standpoint afterwards, but what was it, four draft picks, five draft picks, or whatever, ended up pulling that deal off. Like You got the ability to make trades like that and keep the majority of your roster intact. I think that's probably a, a welcome sight for the guys in that locker room. You mentioned the guys who've been around a long time who deserve a chance to go all in for a championship. They both hit milestones on the same night and had to share, but share a puck. I love that the photo of Stefan and Gabe Clausen. But just what what those guys have meant. And I, the more I watch Gabe Clausen, I, I it's hard for me to understand. I know he was in an NHL camp uh, back in August of just how that guy's not getting more looks or hasn't signed that contract yet. He does everything right. He's a hard worker. He's a great guy in the locker room. Of just what those guys have meant and what those milestones meant the other night for Stefan and Clausen.
0: I think they were big. Like, you could pretty much see, too, in, in the social media posts, they were grinning ear to ear. Like, they were wow. happy as could be. Obviously, the team's performing. It's way easier to enjoy your personal accomplishments when the team's doing well. So, I think a mixture of kind of all of that really stepped in. And, you know, their journey's been, you know, it's they've been having a long, good, a little bit difficult journey, but not too difficult just from the standpoint of, you know, this is a Clawson that, that came in basically right around covid Um you know he was kind of with the team during that year and then james stefan had to go away to lincoln so he can get more games for his development he joined Hannes at the time and Hannes at the time and of course jack o'brien so you know it's been guys who have who have been in portland and had to kind of go through a little bit of the ringer for a season to figure out where they're going to go then obviously been outstanding with the hawks the last couple of years but they're kind of that nucleus of the pieces that's thinking you know these guys are really good they're, they're probably going to signed pro deals and I'd, I'd put good money on that one that all three of them will and should following yeah. um, this year especially if they keep the play that they've been doing uh, but you know it's also kind of one of those where you get a chance to hit some milestones because you've been here a while and, and you, you've had great success for a long time like that's what makes it so impressive you know if, if they're on different teams and they're Team's franchise didn't go back to the year 1976. I'm sure they'd be a little bit higher rate on some <laughs> right. of those leaderboards. Right, like it was wild. Even like even when Clawson scored a hundred, there's already been I say already been. Like I still think it's impressive. But 26 Winterhawks have done that. Wow. So then you kind of do the math, and you're like, well, I guess it's been almost 50 years of existence. So essentially every other year, there's somebody that's hitting. <laughs> you know, 100 goals, which means you're looking if Clawson's 20 and he hit 100 goals, there's probably going to be an 18-year-old on the Portland Winterhawks team that will eventually hit 20 goals as long as he comes back for his 20-year-old season. So it's like this never-ending cycle where, like, you're going to get that constant accomplishment um, as long as you just keep playing games and you play high minutes. But, you know, it's one that I think that they're kind of looking bigger picture, and this those are two guys that want a championship. Like, they're they're sitting here. I feel like they got a good taste of it even a few years back. Um you know, I think they're both they should have both been around for for uh, the Hofer deal and at yeah. least the Gauche deal, if not Hofer. I think Claussen was. Maybe the other two weren't. Um but either way, you know, Hofer was kind of like that first, like, okay, like here's a big piece that we're gonna bring in to, to kind of try to go and, and help Portland while they had Jarvis and Hofer and whatnot, and then you get Gauche, another goaltender, to to assist with Dante Janutzi a few seasons back. Portland couldn't get past Seattle then. Uh, you know, then they had a little bit of a chance last year, but you knew you'd run into a juggernaut either in, in Kamloops or Seattle. So mm-hmm. I think it's kind of one of those, like, they've been to the playoffs numerous times. Now, you know, can this group get past that level? And those are the types of guys in and Clawson and Stefan and O'Brien that can get you past that level and really put yourself from just a playoff team to a contender. So I, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of appreciation for their play. I know there's a lot of hope, too, that – uh, they're going to be the right pieces to be able to help, kind of take some of those, uh, you know, high-scoring <laughs> situations and statistics and keep them rolling all
1: the way until May. Yeah, well, you mentioned, too, uh, earlier, just looking at the playoff picture right now, I mean, Wenatchee's a team that's second in the West, and they could look totally different in three weeks, right? I mean, Correct. That could be a roster that tears down a little bit. We know Prince George is solid, um, arguably the best team in the dub right now. I know Saskatoon's having a really good year, but Everett's another team that you're right there with. They played four more games than you. You're only two points behind them. Like, You really like the way things kind of set up. Uh, you got to ma- maintain the consistency and goal and maybe, as you mentioned, make one more splash deal, but there's a, there's a pathway there this year to compete. There's not that juggernaut in your way, as you highlighted, with the Seattle-type team that you're just looking at saying, God, I, I there's nothing we can do here. I, it's just, this is an AHL roster. and I, <laughs> I don't care how aggressive you are and how good of a series you play. You're just going to run into that brick wall eventually. Uh, two more hockey-related questions, and we'll close with some fun because I know you got to go get some breakfast here, and I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, Merrick Alscher, World Junior's um, how excited are we for him? He's obviously going to be gone here for the games this weekend, uh, but just the opportunity to go back and represent his country again this year.
0: Thrilled just beyond thrilled for him. Like he, he deserves all the success he's getting. Uh, you ever since he stepped foot in Portland, he was a player that you're like, wow, this guy's got some big promise. Obviously a little bit different game, but that's good though. You don't always want to have everybody who plays the same exact game in every yeah. position. So I like that it was a little bit of a different player, um from portland where he's a little bit more of a bigger bruiser guy big body defenseman shutdown player like he doesn't have to be that canyoni offensive role um offense is kind of coming along more and more like we've seen some excellent plays from that but it's one of those where he just puts his nose to the ice works so hard does everything right off the ice treats his body right um you know you see him doing extra workouts he's always on the ice probably with, with some of the younger guys staying an extra 15, 20 minutes to get some ice time in. So he's, he's just a competitor. That guy loves to compete. So to have him go at the world's largest stage for the under-20 level and be able to compete again is, is awesome. Obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a little stinks because I have to put a, um, you know, technically an asterisk next to this because Czechia hasn't officially named uh, him on yeah. their roster. Touché. I know it's still their preliminary camp roster. Uh, but I mean, come on, like I, we know what's coming. Like he's not going to be <laughs> on that world junior team last year as an extra. And then they reinvite him back and then say, you know what? Go back to Portland. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I suppose if it does, then Winterhawks fans would be like, Ooh, well, we get him for an extra five or six games. That's great, which it would be, but I'd rather see him succeed for his country. Obviously they got a medal last year. They picked up silver, Um, you know, it's, I think it was a little bittersweet from Ulster's perspective there where he loved it. Like, you know, that experience was unbelievable for him, but it was one of those, like, he's like, I just wanted to play, you know, like he's there. He's like, I just want to play. So I think it's going to be a a pretty emotional Ulster when he gets to put Checky's roster or Jersey on once again, because he's representative at every level since he was 16 years old. So this is kind of the culmination of that, obviously, before you get to like the world juniors, when you're in pro. Uh, or World Championships, right. sorry, not World Juniors, when he was the World Championship level once you're in pro hockey, uh, you know, he pretty much checked every possible tournament scenario uh, you know you can represent your country for, so I hope this is the final one in his notch. I hope he can claim a medal too with with his country. I wish Jan Spoonar was there with him
1: no, because know.
0: that easily would have been the storyline if it wasn't for the injury um, but yeah nobody nobody deserves this one more. I'm always in Ulster's camp, and I feel like a lot of Winterhawks fans are too excited to watch him. I even joked in the broadcast the other night. I was like, yeah, I think his first game's at 3 a.m. after Christmas, so uh, I'll probably be taking a, a mile shooting and <laughs> I'll put World Juniors on in the background. I'll, I'll roll right. over in bed and say, oh, don't worry, babe, I got this one. Meanwhile, I'm going to like, <laughs> yeah. guy, roll out to the living room and turn on the TV and be like, oops. <laughs> Looks like NHL Network just slipped oh. on the
1: bottle. <laughs> <laughs> what an accident! I had no clue this was on. I had a, look at you picking up brownie points left and right. That's a brilliant move, right there, Nick Merrick. That's why they pay you the big bucks. Uh, we got <laughs> we got Spokane twice in the same weekend, starting tonight and then again at home tomorrow. The game tomorrow will be on TV, and I get to work with the lovely Nick Merrick again. Very excited for that. I'm diving into these this team. You know, you obviously know when follow Spokane closer than I do. I'm looking up and down the roster, and I'm thinking to myself, how is this team in second to last in the in the west? Western Conference. Their goal differential is only a minus 12, which isn't terrible. Berkeley-Catton could be a you know a top 10, top 12 pick in the NHL draft this summer. I, I'm having a hard time pegging why Spokane isn't quite uh, clicking on all cylinders. What do you see as Spokane? What's the scouting report as they get a little back-to-back here to close out uh, the stretch before the holiday break?
0: I think the biggest thing from my perspective there is they're kind of coming off like a one-line team against Portland. At least in the games against the Winterhawks, it's been Caton, Roulette, and Bertholette and they are unbelievable. Like that, that might be one of the best lines again, just like it was last year with Bert line, um, you know, against Portland team this year in the Western conference. Uh, And that's saying something too, when we're talking about the Everett's and the Prince George's in this division as well, but they, they just have an act for scoring. But I think what's happened is they lack a little bit after that, um, you know, and they aren't getting as much depth scoring as as they probably would want from a team this year to be able to be in a good playoff contention. Um, But with captain on the ice, I mean, that's, realistically, probably a player that should be taken in the top five overall in the summer's NHL draft. He is that good of a player. Like, if you're looking at a Spokane team that's sitting last in the U.S. division, but Berkeley cattons there with, what, 40-some points already and 20 goals scored in a draft-eligible year, like, that guy's going to be going to the NHL draft with 40 goals at this rate. (laughs) That's insane on a team that maybe won't even make the playoffs. So not only are you, you know, it's not like you're kind of hidden in the lineup on a good team. Like, you have to be the guy as a 17-year-old, against the Gabe Clausens of the world. And technically, even scoring against the Gabe Clausens of the world. That That's kind of that last game where it was that 8-5 eight, eight, score when you said it was kind of back and forth and the teams were pretty close for a while. It's that same situation because that line kept them in it. So I think the big scouting report there is keep an eye on them. Uh, goal has been pretty decent, honestly. I think Cowan has kind of taken over as that number one. Uh, he's pretty good. He's, you know... It's, I think the goaltending in the Western leagues down a little bit this year overall. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's that's this is their their top year, and it's only because we're so used to getting spoiled with all these high end NHLers. Like even out in Edmonton when it was Sebastian who was coming through, and he was a first round NHL pick as a goaltender. Then you get Taylor Gocci in Portland even last year, and um, or two years ago I suppose. Now uh, you know you just get some like big name goalies. All around, a Dustin Wolf, a Carter Hart, um, Lukash Parikh was yeah. unbelievable in Spokane a few years back, Joel Hofer is, you know, like, so I don't think you have quite that caliber um, just yet, especially in the U.S. division, because, again, we've been spoiled. But um, I, I think their reports kind of they just need some of those younger guys to find their roster holdings a little bit more and see if there's any more they can give for the second half of the season and grow into something. Because the coaching staff, wherever it came to a point where you know uh, player x who's 17 years old could actually he's got a lot of growth like let's put him up in a in a a top line role then all of a sudden then you can kind of juggle up that Birkle cat and roulette line and maybe get two scoring lines out of it so i think that's kind of what's missing there and th- i bring it up cuz i feel like portland fans could understand it because we've talked about it in the podcast before when the hawks were kind of struggling it was because they only had one scoring line going it was Claussen, and Stefan and Davies mm-hmm. and nobody else seemed to find the back of the net now, all of a sudden, Josh Dukreski doubled up his goals in, in a week. He put up five or six goals in the last <laughs> right, four games. Right. Uh, Jack O'Brien scored a hat-trick and another big one the other day. So he's up – you know, he got four goal a four-goal week. Like, you're getting players to, to kind of start to spark a little bit more, and I think that's the one thing that Spokane's missing a little bit in their lineup is they don't have any reliable scoring outside of that. They're still getting it, of course, but, you know, it's not like they can guarantee it every single night. So I, I'd say that's the big scouting report for them. Um, and then also – since we're talking our last podcast before the Christmas and holiday break obviously it should be noted that they always joke in these these two games is kind of like the sugar plum game because teams have their eyes on flights the next morning and, yes. and whatnot when they're ready to go home for eight days to recharge or whatever it ends up being. So uh, a little bit of okay look, let's make sure these two teams play strong before,
1: <laughs> you know before you
0: get to the break because there's no free wins. Portland saw that a week ago with Wenatchee right? You're up by four doesn't matter. Um, so you got you got to make sure you do your business. Then you can celebrate once this weekend's done.
1: Yeah, get through the two games. You mentioned the top line there. i mean, watching Portland's top line and their top line go head-to-head. Very excited for that this weekend, the last two games before the break. Uh, before we let you go eat some breakfast and get your day started as you get ready for the first half of the doubleheader, or not doubleheader, but back-to-back, I should say, uh, give me Nick Merrick, before the holiday break, his top Christmas movie. If you could only watch one the rest of your life, Ooh. which one would you pick? And who is your go-to Christmas musical artist? are you like a traditional Bing Crosby Frank Sinatra guy you go like country Christmas give me your top musical artist
0: oh you should have texted me these (laughs) before so you've actually given it some thought um you're putting me on the spot Andy I'll probably just go I'll probably just go a little bit quote-unquote lame with my uh Christmas movie I always love Elf um so I'll say that one just because it comes it came to my mind
1: so quick when you asked it I mean there's no wrong answer there right there's no wrong answer There's a lot of good ones to choose from
0: you know which one's funny, though, is I probably need to watch the Home Alone series again. I feel like I have not watched Home Alone near Christmas time in literally the last 12 years. So it's one of those, like, I, I need to, I don't even know if I've seen anything else, like the extended series in that one besides Home Alone 1. Um Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I got to get the movies going. We got to get some time here after these games. You got a little Uh, downtime.
1: I mean, the kid's not going to let you sleep much, but you got a little downtime. At least a few (laughs) days off of work for the first time, and it feels like probably five years for you.
0: A hundred percent. The good news though is the music side a little easier to turn on the house. Um, I feel like we have a couple answers there. I can go with the easy household answer. We love the NSYNC Christmas album. That one is honestly fire. Interesting. You're very much sleeping on it. If you don't like the NSYNC Christmas music. (laughs) I love it. Um, I'd probably say I I love country at heart. The, uh, Dan and Shay came out with a Christmas song or two. And I love those. They're more like modern, you know, that they, they kind of put their own spin on it currently. Um, Otherwise, yeah, I feel like just the oldies, like when you put on – because it's just so uh, like therapeutic almost when you're listening to old FM radio, which I feel like is such a dying thing now on the FM side, uh, you know, just to turn on the radio dial and and hear – and, and just hear those old-school Bing Crosby music and, and Sinatra, like you mentioned. I feel like I couldn't even ma- name most of the artists, which is hilarious. Like, my mom and dad would know this in trivia any second. Uh, but, but, you know, it's just kind of what I grew up with. So, obviously, I love just like the old-school classic, uh, classic Christmas music. Uh, as well.
1: Yeah, the nostalgia always gets flowing. NSYNC, that was a wild card I did not see coming. You never cease to surprise us, Nick Merrick. That's why we love talking to you. Um, I know you and I are going to get a chance to work together tomorrow night, so very excited for that. Thank you for carrying me through all those broadcasts, and for the listeners, I just want to let you know, have a great holidays, man. First first Christmas at home with the little dude, so enjoy some well-deserved time off, and then we'll reconnect with the pod after the, uh, after the holiday break is over. But thanks as always, buddy. Travel safe, and we'll see you tomorrow at the VMC.
0: That sounds great. Excited for these next two games, Andy. Thanks for chatting a little Winterhawks hockey before the holiday break. And Hawks fans, you have yourself a very merry Christmas and happy holiday season. Can't wait to see you tomorrow and excited for the second half of the
1: year. Well, I went down to the local arena,
0: asked to see the manager man. He came from his office, said, son, can I help you? Looked at him and said,
1: Yeah, hey, I wanna drive the Zamboni. Yeah, hey, I wanna drive the Zamboni. Yes I do. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.